Few are taught the fundamentals of finance and money management in school. This limited series podcast tackles the basics all students need to know to become financially independent. Made by students, for students. On this episode, we sat down with Jacob Rizzuto. Jake is an accounting student at McGill University. He's also the chief operating officer at Penny Drops, a student-run nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of financial education in Canada. Welcome to episode seven of the Money Class Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Money Class Podcast. This is episode seven. My name is Costa. Hey guys, it's Mark. <laughs> and we have a guest on the show today. It's Jacob Rizzuto. Jacob, how are you doing? Guys, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, tell the v- listeners and the viewers who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Sure. So my name is Jacob. I'm a, uh, a business student going into my last semester at McGill. Um, my major while I'm pursuing the business degree is accounting. And so my goal at the end of the day is to become a CPA. So for those of you who don't know what a CPA is, it's a chartered professional accountant. And essentially uh, what that means is that uh, once I pass the CPA exam and I do a certain amount of hours working in an, in an accounting field, I actually become a registered accountant and it, it comes along with a certain level of uh, sort of authority and, and distinction that allows me to pretty much give advice and that advice is backed by my designation and backed by the cpa order so that's my plan professionally and while i was at mcgill i also decided to join an organization called penny drops i joined penny drops uh for two years now that i've been part of the organization I started off as a director of operations at Penny Drops, and I've made my way up to being the COO of the organization, which has been really exciting, really fun, and it's been full of a lot of great learning experiences. So I'm, I'm really grateful for for taking part in this organization. Okay, so okay, so uh, so the plan is, you know, after your 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 BCom, get into get into uh, accounting, you know, get your bragging rights as a CPA charter holder. <laughs> And uh, and throughout, you know, you've been part of Penny Drops, which you know, for those who may not know, Costa and I are both on Penny Drops executive on the executive teams of Penny Drops, um, which is an organization which which teaches financial literacy to students from high school all the way to university. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you had started as a mentor for high school. Is that right? Well, actually, what happened was maybe I could explain how Penny Drops works at a high level. So our, sure. our listeners can kind of get a better idea. But the way Penny Drops works is we recruit university students to then go into high schools and teach students about anything financial literacy related. So we do that on one end. And what we also do, and this is a newer sort of uh, project that we've been engaged in, is we actually teach university students a higher level, more advanced curriculum. So. What we do is broken up into two parts, teaching high school students, teaching university students. That's pretty much it on a basic level. Now to actually operate and to actually go through with that teaching, we have a pretty pretty simple organizational structure. We've got on the highest level, the national team who oversees all of our university chapters across the country. And how many chapters do we have? At this point, we've got 17. Okay, okay, pretty big. Yeah, so pretty much across the country, we've got 17 chapters at different universities. And what their job is, is to essentially teach high school students in their area using our curriculum, as well as host university workshops on campus. So that's how we operate. We we pretty much establish franchises at various universities. And then we we pretty much do all of the work out of those chapters. And we aim to teach students through those chapters. Hmm. So, that's, so that's penny drops on a basic level. So how did you, what roles did you have? How did you come about it? Like wh- where, basically just tell us about yourself and how you were involved in this whole operation and how you started and where you're at now. Right. Okay. So I was lucky enough to know somebody who was part of the penny drops national team, which again is that, that overseeing, you know, group of individuals who who manage all of our chapters so because 
I knew this person. He let me know that uh, you know the national team was recruiting. I ended up applying, and I was able to join the national team directly. Once I joined the national team, I was in there as a director of operations, and my job was really to oversee some of those university chapters or, or franchises of Penny Drops across the country. And at that point, I was also a Penny Drops mentor as well. Since I had joined the national team directly, my you know the, those who were on top of me and my colleagues, we we kind of decided that I needed to understand how Penny Drops work. So. While also being on a national team, I also went to go teach a few lessons at some high schools in the area, which was a really cool experience. And what's interesting is that only after I taught my first high school workshop did I kind of realize that you know what we were doing is really cool. I kind of was able to see it on the front lines, which was nice. And you know, I, I wasn't, I'll be completely honest, I wasn't very engaged for the first few weeks. I didn't really know what we were up to. I wasn't that motivated, but as soon as I went into a high school classroom and taught and sat down with some high school students and realized what we were doing for them, it kind of like a, a switch kind of flipped in, in my head. And I realized that I'm really lucky to be part of this. It's, hmm. it's a really cool movement. Hmm. And ever since then, I've, I've sort of, my drive has been a little bit, you know, higher. I kind of kicked it into a, a higher gear and I've been really, you know, just trying to soak everything in in this short period of time. So, so as soon as I you, think, so as soon as you got your hands dirty, pretty much you got it, you become more interested in what you were doing, right? So, on the exact team, you kind of were unsure of you know how does this all work out, but then as soon as you went into the actual doing it, then it was like, oh wow, okay, I see my impact in having on other people, and I see how I'm benefiting other people, so I'm intrinsically more motivated. That's interesting. Yeah, I, there's a, also a very interesting point, I think. Especially us, we started this podcast for this reason, and it was very much because of like what Mark and I saw at Penny Drops. Financial literacy is so important, and we did feel like it was lacking in high schools and universities. And you know, Penny Drops tries to answer to that need. Us two were trying to do that. Um, what do you think? What do you think makes it? Why do you think? Let's say that in high schools and in universities, it's not as much. It's not taught on every single level of studies and it's only in business and why do you think penny drops needs to answer to that need well i mean it's it's pretty basic uh i think i'm not the first person who has said this i bet you you've heard this you know a lot of times but it's a little ironic that in high schools we don't learn probably the most essential thing we need to learn right which is it's called many things right you can call it a, a bunch of different things but one of those ways to, to sort of idea it is it's financial literacy, right? Whether or not you have a, you, you know, you pursue a career in business, in engineering, uh, you know, you pursue a trade, it, it really doesn't matter what you do. Everyone needs to understand and have a sort of basic level of financial literacy in order to live a better life. It's that simple. So, you know, um, What's, what's really interesting to see is that the school boards and the, and the governments are coming around. So, for example, even though they're very overdue, as of September this year, the Quebec government pretty much mandated that every grade 11 classroom in the entire province is going to receive a financial literacy course, which is huge, oh, wow. right? That, that's, mm-hmm. a big, you know, that's a big step in the right direction, and obviously... All of us at Penny Drops are, are proud of that and, and we're happy to see it. So, you know, even though the governments and, and the school boards have been lagging when it comes to this, I think they've sort of realized that it's essential and, and they're starting to implement this into their curriculum, which is great. So, you know, one of the questions becomes, look, Penny Drops, what we do is we were there to fill that gap, right? Where in high schools, students were not being taught this really relevant information. Now that governments are, are bringing this into to their school board's curriculum, where do we fit? And so that's sort of a, you know, something that all of us need to consider, and it's something we've been thinking about for about a year now. And, and what we've concluded is that whether or not governments have their own financial literacy curriculums or curricula, we still have a place and we're still able to, to add value to these students' lives because what we do is we kind of provide a voice that teachers cannot provide to these students, 
when you have a 21 year old sitting down with a 16 year old, it's different compared to when you have a 40 year old teacher speaking to, to, to some 16 year olds. And so even though students are, are going to be learning, you know, about financial literacy from their teachers and essentially from the government, we're still able to come in there and actually give, you know, personal stories and, and relate to these students on a level that nobody else could. So, so the conclusion is that we will still be around in the future. Okay. So you guys are pivot you guys pretty much pivoted from just giving information or just giving, you know, this is how our credit card works, this is how our checking account works, this is the world of investing, as opposed to just, you know, being an information, you know, just transmitting information. You guys are now going with a different approach, which is more of the social approach, right? The more of bringing a human aspect to, to the curriculum. Look, if, if I'll be honest, we've always been about that. It's, okay. it's never just been an information approach. Okay. Um, what, was, what was nice in the past is that we, we, we added value you know, in the information and in that personal connection aspect. It's just that now that information you know, side of things is already being provided to students. And so what we're having to do is double down on that personal connection. Uh, and establishing sort of a relationship with students that that they can't get anywhere else. But we've always been about personal connections and, okay. and things like that. Yeah, I find that interesting um, because, you know, sometimes the information is dry. And I, I remember, you know, especially financial literacy sometimes could be a bit dry as information. But I remember, you know, in, in high school, I would always ask the teacher, I would be the, I was the annoying student among other things, but I was <laughs> the one who always asked, you know, why are we learning this, right? And what is the what is the utility or what what is the use of learning the quadratic equation or the rule of three or the history of you know of, of our province of our country and you know why do we learn it right and I think what Penny Jobs is trying to fill the gap is okay so the school or the government is is teaching something to students and then you guys come in and fill the gap of the why while also giving like the, the personal aspect and the more rapport that you're building with the students. So I see it interesting how you're able to see, okay, so we don't just have the monopoly of teaching students financial literacy, but we also now can complement what the government is doing and, and, and work hand in hand as opposed to butting heads and saying, well, okay, that's the way we've been always doing it. This is how we're going to do it for forever. Right. And I think that's something that's very important, you know, in life and in, in, in projects in school in, in anything you do is that once you notice that your competitors or at least, you know, well, this could be seen as a business, let's say, with competitors. And if the government is seen as a competition, we know we won't be able to win. Right. So you say, OK, this is what they're doing. This is the value that they're bringing. How can I compliment and how can I work with them in order to you know, bring more value? So the government is not able to bring 21 year olds to every single high school in its province. That's non-realistic. That's unrealistic. But penny drops can come in there and say, look. Let's work. Well, I don't. I don't know how close of a connection you guys have with the uh, with the minister of uh, education, but <laughs> but you know you're working with the, with the schools and you're able to provide a service. I think that's that's quite. Yeah. I think that's quite that's beautiful, and I think that's that's an, that plays an important spot in in our society because you know these students are the future of our of the people who we are. So we, they they can't be left alone. I think that raises a, a good transit. Well, that brings us to the fact that especially this year, like obviously the main goal of Penny Drops and where it's been at is very much about doing that one-on-one -on -one mentoring or like having like groups, let's say five students per like one mentor. Uh, but with the pandemic that has shifted and obviously you had all the Penny Drops had to change. And I know you, Jake, you were, I think the one who proposed or at least introduced this new program at Penny Jobs called Penny Jobs Anywhere. You care to talk about that and how that changed everything at Penny Jobs? So before I get into our new sort of model that has been, uh, you know, implemented because of what's going on with COVID, um, what I'll say is that usually what Penny Jobs did in the past is we actually we sent over some university trained mentors to a high school to actually mm -hmm. sit down with high school students face to face. And, and connect with them and work through our lessons in person. So when it comes to that model, building personal connection and, and, and telling stories uh, to, to the high school students in order to, like you said, Mark, explain the why was really easy because we were sitting in front of them and, and it was a small group and it was, it was just sort of, you know, 
like I said, very easy to sort of establish a connection with the students. Now, because of COVID, high, a lot of high school students were actually forced to do school at home. And even if they weren't forced to do school at home, and they actually were able to go back into, you know, go back into their classrooms and, and learn, you know, in that setting, the rules for allowing visitors into high schools were completely sort of demolished. And, and there were there were essentially no no rules, or the only rule was really that there was no more visitors. No, right? no one, no one coming in. <laughs> That's it. The, the, the rule essentially became that there's no, you can't come in anymore. Because of Which COVID, you can't take the risk, for sure. Yeah. It was completely understandable. What was nice, though, is that we were sort of able to anticipate this. It was it was kind of a common sense, uh, you know, thing that was that was very likely to happen. And so, even though high school students were going back to school in September, as of maybe June or July before that, we were able to anticipate that that was going to happen and prepare, sort of prepare for the worst. So, again, our our value add is really to establish personal connections with students and and give them sort of stories and anecdotes that that we can that they can relate to that that's the point that's what we do so it was a bit of a concern for us that we weren't able to actually meet with these students in person anymore and, and we didn't know how long it was going to last we weren't sure it was going to last maybe you know a few months it could it could be 12 months it could even be two years we even today after it's been you know you know since september it's it's been it's we're pushing a good five six months now this could linger for another six months. We don't know. Um, and even when we go back to a normal, we don't know what the rules are going to be for allowing visitors in high school. So this could this could easily turn into a new reality for us at, at Penny Drops, and, and we're preparing for that. But what we've done so far is we've you know we've laid out a few. We had laid out a few strategies, and we sort of tried to figure out what the next best thing was to actually teaching in person. We also have to take into consideration, you know, some constraints like logistics and, and, and making sure that it could spread quickly. And the, what we came up with was a program called Penny Drops Anywhere. Penny Drops Anywhere is essentially a platform that students could log on to. And once they log on to that platform, they gain access to really interactive lessons that they can go through by themselves on their computer. Now, even though they do this alone, sort of, and it's it's traditionally done, you know, at home, and, and teachers sort of implement this as like a homework program or like an after-school program. So even though they're doing the students are doing this at home alone, you know, behind their screens, we've set up the lessons and the videos to still somewhat be um, engaging in a sense that students could connect with those mentors who are in those videos behind the screen, and we do that in a few ways. First things first. Whenever a new mentor shows up in one of our videos, we ask that mentor to introduce themselves and sort of try to connect with the viewer by telling the viewer a little bit about themselves and, and how they got to where they are today. Uh, in other ways, we, we ask our mentors and, and we sort of integrate it in the videos for the mentors to give little anecdotes or, or little personal experiences that students could relate to. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, even though students Whoa, sorry guys. Even though no students are doing this uh, sort of in their rooms on their computers, we've tried to preserve that, that personal connection that they establish with our Penny Drops mentors. It's not perfect. And to be honest with you guys, nothing beats sitting with a student face-to-face. -face, and that's just a fact. You can't, you, know, the, the, you can't get around it, right? Even though nothing beats that, what we're trying to do is we're trying to develop resources that will give students the knowledge they need in such a way that they can still build some sort of relationship with a mentor three to four years older than them. It's a work in progress, but we're slowly getting there and we're slowly refining our, you know, our toolbox of what we offer to, to better, you know, connect students with, with uh, Penny Drops mentors. Well, yeah, well, yeah, if you don't take chances and if you don't try something new, then that case you'll always be in the past and you'll always be doing the same things. And at some point it's like, oh, you're doing this. What is it? Uh, insanity is when you, what is it? Einstein said that the insanity is if you try something mm -hmm. a million times and you expect different results, right? It's, that's what it is. If we're in a new we're, we're in a new reality, so we have to think different. We have to think creatively outside the box. And I think, you know, taking the leap into online education is an interesting, it, it is a pivot that was, 
you know, that, that kind of presented itself, but also that was the only option that was available. So it was, you know, okay, we could maybe, you could have thought, okay, let's do um, let's do classes again face-to-face, but now outside with masks two meters apart. Okay, that works when it's 23 degrees in September and sunny, <laughs> you know? So you have to be realistic. I And I think, you know, the online education made, made sense um, considering the circumstances we were presented with. I just want to add something to that, actually. Um, I've been reading a lot about how CEOs operate and what they do to basically change services or products like in their companies to make them better. And obviously, like in in the economy or just like for CEOs, competition is very much present. And if you don't innovate, you're basically going to lose the competition and someone's going to take over. Um, and it, there was this one book, it's on about the CEO of Disney, and he talked about how you have to innovate or die. And that's something I always think about. And the idea is if you just keep on doing the same thing, uh, that's not sustaining the business or like, even though this is a nonprofit or an organization, it's not going to sustain penny drops and you have to find new ways to innovate so you can progress. That goes, you know, with the saying innovate or you die, um, which is a little intense, but I get, I think it gets the, the message across. So that brings me to the question about how you op since you are the CEO of penny drops, how you operate uh, the entire organization, what you do to make it what it's become since the pandemic. Because I think the big thing, especially because we are, you know, a part of Penny Drops and we've been seeing you work with us, you're really good at operating and at managing these teams. And I know you're, I think, a part of five chapters that you're overseeing. How do you go about it all? Why do you think you're, at least from our perspective, you're doing such a great job? What do you do that's so um, that just makes sauce? your efforts pretty much. Yeah, I'm just trying what's to find the, secret, the right Ross, question Ross here. To, what's the secret he's gonna, sauce? He's, gonna, he's taking his notes one by one. He's gonna go <laughs> take out your pen and paper, guys. <laughs> so what makes you a manager? I guess is that, what, is that what you're trying to say? Pretty much, pretty much. What makes a good manager? But what, yeah, I guess we'll go with that. I was trying to find the right words there. <laughs> That's a big question. That is a really big question, well, guys. Let me get my notebook out. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> open up your, open up your uh, strategic management book or something uh, if you want the definition of a good manager. Um, what I would say is that I, I still think I'm, I'm far too young and I'm far too inexperienced to really define accurately what makes a good manager. Uh, but what I could say is that from my own personal experience in the past two years, um, especially when it comes to the nature of penny drops, right? It's important to keep in mind we are a registered nonprofit, but we are one that is sort of run by students. And we, we're all students. We can be honest with ourselves. We've got a lot of things going on in life. We've got courses. We've got part-time jobs. And a lot of us are in like three to four different clubs. And so it's a balancing act on an individual level. Uh, and, and what it comes down to on the student level is, is priorities. So when it comes to myself and and sort of, you know, things that I think I do well at or, or sort of maybe even I can frame it like the challenges I've had to I've had to deal with. The biggest one for me when it comes to managing our teams across the country and, and even locally, it comes down to priorities. And what I've noticed is that the most important thing to make sure is there so that Penny Drops works is motivating all of our members, all of our executives, all of our mentors, so that Penny Drops is somewhere higher up on their list of priorities. That's the trick, because we've got so many things going on in life. If people put Penny Drops and their commitment to Penny Drops at the bottom of their list, it's not going to work, right? So it's Penny Drops is, is five years old. We're still a startup, and we need to maintain that startup culture. And I think that one big element of that startup culture is that we need to be grinding. We, we, we can't be comfortable where we are. We need to be hustling. We need to be pushing. And we need to be sort of doing as much as we can to expand. So the last thing I'll say here is that one thing that good managers definitely need to do, I, I don't know the definition of good manager, but one thing that they need to do is they need to motivate their teams so that whatever they need from their team is high up on that list of priorities. And something that's really interesting with Penny Drops, and I think I'm, I'm fortunate to have gone through this experience, is in a normal company, you've got, you've got salaries to motivate your employees, right? And if they don't hit, if they don't hit their 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 KPIs or or their performance targets, 
they don't get their bonus or you know maybe they get fired what's different about penny drops is that we don't ha- we don't pay our student mentors we don't pay anybody in the organization so we've had to sort of come up with different ways to motivate our executives and our mentors that are outside of this of this you know financial compensation world it's been a challenge it's it's definitely feasible but it's it's been a cool experience for myself and uh you know it's it's something that i think uh, if you're if you're able to expose yourself to this it's going to help i i do think it's going to help me later on in life when it comes to motivating and managing people Costa, do you I want to say something? I, 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 I think I have something to add, but go ahead, Costa. Oh, no, go ahead. I, say what you wanted to say. No, but I, I think it... So if I'm understanding correctly, it's you want to find, I guess, people who are intrinsically motivated, but more so you want to... You know, you want people to be motivated by something other than, obviously, financial compensation, right? Then at Penny Drops, there's a holistic approach and there's this idea that we want to make the world a better place, but we want to make, you know, people more financially literate. So I think at the beginning, we're working on a very... We have a very, uh, you know, this big picture idea that we're doing good for the world. So I think at the beginning, you know, the management is a bit easier because, you know, if you find people who have this, who are aligned to the same ideas as yours, you guys will do well, right? And at least the management will be easier because you share a big picture, you share a common uh, commonality. Um, whereas if you have people, I guess, that have that aren't as interested or you know, aren't going to be working as hard because they don't maybe care as much or maybe it's not as, as high in their priority, I think in that case you're you're working backwards, right? And maybe, you know, the people whom you're working with aren't necessarily the right fit, but, you know, that's fine because we're all motivated, I guess, by um, by, by, by different factors. Kasa, um, what were you going to say? I'll, I'll add something right after. Um, well, essentially what you just said, Mark, I kind of, I wanted to say a bit of that, but also the fact that what you said, the big thing I think with you, Jake, is also you really care. And what you said before about the fact that, you know, it, you kind of realize how important this whole thing was once you started going to the high schools and seeing, you know, talking to the students firsthand, right? So I think it goes with the fact that what's really important is, and I know a lot of companies do this, is that they take their executive teams or their CEOs, I'm talking about big Fortune 500 companies, and they make them work at the very bottom of basically the hierarchy of their company to really see where they're providing the value, what service they're providing. And I think that really helps. So I think that goes with, with everything you're saying. I just wanted to add that little, little thing. So yeah, with that being said, uh, Mark, you, you had something to say? Yeah, no, I, I think it, I think it makes sense. You know, it's, um, so let's, if you bring it back to like a group project, let's say, you know, if you imagine a group project is like a mini penny drops or a mini organization, pretty much you want to have people who are aligned with the same goals as you. Right, so at Penny Drops, it's a question of having you know financial, you know, spreading financial literacy or spreading knowledge to as many people as possible. Knowledge, um, where <laughs> and, and in a group project, it's okay. Let's have the same goal, right? Our same goal is to get you know the A or to get ninety five percent, or and we know that if you surround yourself with people who are going to push you or, or or who have the same common goal as you, you know, the management should be much easier. And something that I've noticed before I even started. Now, whenever I started a new group project now in school, you know, my first semester, I was doing much less of this. And as the semesters rolled on, I started doing this was at the beginning, you lay out, you know, what is our objective, right? Guys, you know, mm-hmm. are you guys ready to put in the work to be, you know, get a 90 or to get a hundred or, or do you guys not care? And we'll get 80 or 70 or 60 or whatever. And I think if you set you set a goal at the beginning and don't take it for granted that everyone is on the same page as you, the management becomes much easier. And I'll give a great example. Um, I, we had this organizational behavior class, organizational behavior class at, at Concordia. It's COM 220, I think, or 225. Anyways, I forget, but it's one of the 200 level COM, uh, COM classes. And what it is, is we, we have a 20 page report and we have to do some study. We have to get, we have to do a study. We have to go get, uh, you know, primary, primary data, which is data that hasn't been collected. It's new data that we're, that we're creating, let's say through a survey. And we have to write a 20-page report with a one line as a directing line, which is, you know, um, about motivation or about working, about managing your team. And the work was so big that had we not had good structure, they would have fallen apart. So what pretty much what our tactic was is that everyone kind of knew what they had to do. And from the right, from the beginning, you know, I kind of said, okay, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll lead it. I'll lead this group 
for this project because we had worked together in other things, other things. But I said, let me lead this group and let's make sure everything works out well. So what ended up happening is that everyone had their own roles and we were all on the same page and we were meeting you know, maybe once a week, but the meetings were 10, 15 minutes long because we were all on the same page. So at the end of the day, pretty much we were saving a lot of time because we weren't having useless 45 minute, one hour meetings where we're just rambling on. Everyone knew what they had to do. We would meet to align all of our, you know, we would meet to realign and then perfect. Everyone did their own work. And I think that's something that, that that project really taught me a lot about, about leadership and about working in a group, especially when you don't have much, uh, much direction from a professor. And it's that make sure everyone's on the same page. Everyone has the same goal in mind and do it explicitly. You know, say, okay, guys, are you ready to do, you know, how many hours do you think it's going to take? Okay. Are we able to do this? Um, you know, what deadlines are feasible and then you'll know, give a bit of a challenge. Say, okay, you could do it for Saturday. How about we do it for Wednesday or for Thursday? Right. And then, okay, let's try, you know, and, um, in finance, we have a, well, and a complete opposite to that in finance, there's a, uh, or at least in every, you know, in all walks of life, there's a, uh, there's a saying, uh, under promise and over deliver, right? If you say you could do something by Friday and if you know you could do it by Thursday, so say you could do it by Friday and then by, by Wednesday night or by Thursday morning, it's done. So you've under promised what you could do and you've over delivered because your expectations were set lower. So all you have to do is go up. And I think, you know, at Penny Jobs, that's what's fun. It's that we have this idea of teaching financial literacy, which is a, it's not under promising, but it's just, it's such a broad aspect that once you start going into it, you're like, oh, wow, okay, we're doing one-on-ones with, 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 with students, we're going online, we're doing these university classes. I think it, it goes to the same line. So it's fun. It, it's very interesting and it could be applicable. And, you know, I challenge any student listening to set out the goals explicitly at the beginning of a project and see where that takes yeah. you because that could, that, that, that works much better than, than, than you would think. You, you bring up something interesting there about efficiency and goal setting. I think what's really important, and a lot of the times we don't realize this, it's also the why behind why you're setting a goal and how you're trying to be efficient. I think if you don't understand why you're doing something, it's easy to just kind of put it in the back burner. And that really goes ahead with motivation to just actually, you know, complete the goal more than anything. So that's also a point I wanted to add. Jake, what do you think about all of this? I was waiting for you to ask me, but... Um... <laughs> I, what I want to say is that, you know, you brought up cost, you brought up the why, and I think that's really important. And, and Mark, you, you brought up, you know, things that were similar to that. And from my own personal experience, I, I want to say this because I think it's important and we could sort of unpack it together maybe. Um, but what I've noticed and, and the way I, the way I sort of look at penny drops and the way I kind of look at many projects that I, I work on is like penny drops, for example, is, is not the end for me. To be honest, it's it's a means to an end, and and I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. Uh, I'm not using penny drops per se, but what I'm doing is I'm sort of trying to you know learn as much as I could from the penny drops experience, so that it just helps me later on in life be a better person. And so, Mark, you spoke a lot about group projects, you know, in university classes. We have group projects in high school. We have group projects in CJEP. We have group projects our whole life, I think. It's never going to change, right? Even in our careers, we're put in teams. I think it's very easy to sort of assume in a group project setting that someone else is going to take the lead. But I would, I really, like, I want to encourage people, and I want, I guess what I want to say is that from my own personal experience, I've realized that nobody wants to take the lead in a group project. It doesn't come naturally, right? I think once people realize that, and they realize that it's it's never going to happen that they're just going to wake up one day and want to be the leader in a group project, <laughs> yeah. writing a 20-page essay about some organizational behavior stuff, right? 99% of people don't maybe don't find that, that the most interesting and they don't see the point, right? I think it's really easy for students, especially when you're taking a lot of, you know, core courses that you need to take and that you don't have the say in taking. It's really easy for students to say, listen, I'm not motivated because I don't find this interesting and it's not what I want to do later on in my life, right? That happens a lot. It's, it's psychological and it's natural. But what I would encourage people to do is look past that and look at these group projects and look at these club, you know, engagements that you're part of as a means to a greater end. It's not the, the grade that you get on the group paper is not the end, right? It's a means. And through these group projects and through these experiences, especially if you take a leadership role, 
you could learn things that you would you know that the, the other group members are never going to learn so no matter what you want to do in life it really has no it does not matter at all you have so much to benefit from getting involved in clubs and from taking yeah. the lead in any project that you you know you're part of that extends past the project right for me the grade is not the end it's what you learn in the process for a group paper a group project for penny drops right as much as i care about how many students we teach and honestly i really do it's it's i, I care a lot about teaching more students but i try to look at it i try to extend my my sort of scope past that and say look how much could i learn in these two years that i'm part of penny drops and how is that going to impact me in my career in my personal life in my you know entrepreneurial life it it really extends past uh you know these short-term goals that we set or these short-term targets like grades and, and yeah. things like that so what I, if i could sum it up i would say it's easy to not to, to sort of take the back seat in a, in a group project or a group setting but I would, I would encourage people to sit in the driver's seat even though you don't want to be there even though it's harder and more uncomfortable to be in the driver's seat sit there and motivate yourself not to get to, uh, to get a good grade or, or necessarily something like that but look at it like okay i'm gonna learn things in the next month that i'm in this group project that are going to change my life for the next 50 years that's hmm. i think yeah. that's the way we need to look at things because honestly i've learned things in my experience at penny drops that i think will carry on in the throughout the rest of my life when it comes to dealing with people talking to people you know with different personalities and different you know characteristics managing teams, motivating people, setting goals for myself, you know, collaborating, the list goes on. But what's great is that when I leave penny drops in a few months, it doesn't mean that everything I've done is, is, is finished and it, it was all for nothing. It's going to carry on for the rest of my life. So the start of a that's new chapter. what I would say. The start of a new chapter and yeah. you, you take, you take with you all that stuff you've learned in that previous chapter. So it compounds. And again, here we are talking about compounding and it's, it's related <laughs> to finance, right? If you can compound yeah. experiences like this over your lifetime, I think the effects are, in, are insane, you know? Yeah. So it's a question of like compounding cross. is, yes, yes, sorry. You know, it, it, it's cross, um, it's like these things that you learn, it's, it's like in sports, you know, it's you learn how to do something in one sport, all of a sudden doing the other sport is easier because there's some common attributes that are everywhere. Well, you're not directly working on balance when you're playing basketball. Well, it you you are certain, you know, at some point you're on one foot, you're on two, you're on your second foot, you're moving side to side. So all of a sudden skating becomes easier because you're more used to the amount of pressure you're putting on both feet, right? And that's exactly what you're saying like in a group project or, or inside penny jobs is that you're not working on necessarily one thing specifically or you're not working on... Um, you know, on, on just getting a good grade, but all of a sudden you're also working on, you know, how to manage a team, how to set deadlines, how to get people motivating, which aren't what you're working, but it, they're the, they're a result of the work that you're doing. And, and I think that's really mm -hmm. profound. I think that's very, that's very, that's important to note because when you become a leader in a group, all of a sudden you're not just there for the good grade, but all of a sudden you're getting so much more learning experience, which I think is undervalued. Never heard a yeah. prof say, become the leader, you'll be, you're going to learn more in the class. Never heard that. But now that you mention it, I think it's a truth that, 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 that should be more, you know, that should be applied more often. I want to add to that. Um, I say this all the time. I think joining clubs, it's a university degree of its own. And I think hmm. at times you can argue that you learn more being a part of a club than you learn from an actual class, or at least that's how I feel. Um, and I think you both point out it's the fact that you have to assume responsibility when you go about uh, when you when you start university that's what's going to bring the the like like jake talked about the compound effect um of of just like knowing more and with time and a decade you know a lot more than you thought you could does that make sense it's really about that assuming responsibility with anything you do and that's i've read a lot of books that talk about this that's how people get promoted in big companies too if you're just you know a regular employee, but then when the manager asks for something that's not necessarily your job, you kind of take that on and you deliver and you learn something new because it wasn't part of your job. And then they're impressed because you're doing more than the other people. You get promoted. They like you more. You know more. You become more valuable. 
Hmm. I think that's very important, and I wanted to to point that out. No, you're right. I have a question. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say one more thing. I think when you look at your, you know, your experiences from the compounding perspective, it's also easier to just motivate yourself because, for example, you know, you, let's say you've got a, a paper in one of these, these courses that you're forced to take in your first year of university, and it's worth 20%. You know, it, it's really easy to say, oh, listen, I'm not interested in this course. It's a 20% paper. I'm going to sit in the back seat. <clears throat> you can do that, and it makes sense. But if you look at it through a compounding point of view, it's easier to say, okay, you know, I don't like the course. Yes, it, the paper's not worth much. But what I learned today in the next month of doing this paper, if I take the front seat and I, I take the leadership role, is actually going to turn into something way bigger in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Because you take that idea that a small decision you make today is going to be going to have a really big outcome in 10 years, right? So maybe if, you, if, you wanna, if you're having trouble motivating yourself to – take the front seat and, and jump in the driver's seat, maybe you need to look at it that way and say, mm-hmm. fine, it's, it's a small decision I make today that has a really, really big, that will make a really big difference when I'm an adult, when I'm older. So, you know, that could be a way people motivate themselves. Yeah, there's, there's something about that too. A lot of people, especially me, I remember when I started university, um, you know, I didn't know much. I'm coming in, it's a new environment. How can I get involved? What can I do? What can I even provide to people? Why am I valuable? These were things that I was thinking about. And it's normal for someone who has no experience, who is just very young and who wants to get involved to kind of feel fear or to feel like they might not have anything to provide to somebody. But I think through doing just like just taking the leap and just asking to be a part of something, I think that goes a long way too. if you're scared, um, especially in university, that's kind of a good thing if you know that you're scared and then you go beyond that you know you have to identify the fear and then move past it i think that's very important because a lot of people will say that and not necessarily act on it i just wanted to clarify that um mark you wanted to add something i feel like no go ahead i I know you you go ahead okay cool um well it brings me to another question i want to ask you jake um, do you, I, I know you read books. Uh, we kind of talked about that uh, a few months ago on a call. I remember you gave me some of your recommendations. Do you have any, maybe not necessarily books, but any people you look up to maybe in the business world, or maybe you have books to recommend to people, movies. Um, I want to know what you have to say about that. <laughs> okay. Let me think for a sec. Um, you're putting me on the spot here. What I'll say is over, over the past two months, maybe, I've been looking into uh, an individual. He's a venture capital investor. He's Canadian. Well, you know, he grew up in Canada, but he, he wasn't born here. His name's Chamath Paliopitia. Okay. Um, and what's what's interesting about Chamath is that he's extremely intelligent. Uh, you know, and if you want to learn about him, you just go on YouTube and watch his interviews. He, he talks about all the hot topics, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Facebook, Apple, etc. But I think, you know, aside from that, his philosophy and and what he believes is that the current way in which we look at, like, financial markets or investing is outdated. And he's sort of trying to recreate it or or capitalize on this change. And what he's doing is he's allowing retail investors like myself, maybe you, to actually get in early when it comes to uh, you know IPOs or, or sort of angel investing, and he's doing that through creating these, not creating but through through leveraging these financial instruments called SPACs. Mark, I don't know hmm. if you've heard about SPACs. I'm sure you have. It's been a bit of a bubble, or some people say it's a bubble right now. Uh, but but it's a really hot topic. I don't know if you want to get into SPACs. It's a bit complicated. But this guy Chamath, essentially, what he wants to do is he wants to allow everyday investors like myself, uh, to actually, like, you know, be part of, you know, get a seat at the table with these big investment firms and these these big guys who are traditionally have been making all the money. So what what he's essentially trying to do is he's trying to level the playing field and give me, for example, the, the, the potential to get in and invest in a company early on. As early on as, as these, as these venture capital investors, uh, are investing. 
So I've been really following him. I've been, I've been looking at what he's doing, and I've been I've been trying to to better understand his philosophy. And I'd really encourage you know people to look him up and, and see what he's doing. He doesn't have a book. He might be coming out with one soon, but uh, he's really insightful and and he he's really good at predicting what what the trends are going forward. Two trends that he, he identified and I, I've been sort of looking into, and I think maybe the viewers might be interested in this. Jamath sees the biotech industry as the next, as as sort of the, the next Silicon Valley. Hmm. So he, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook—they're all well established. They're all the the main the main leaders and, and the main players in the game right now. He thinks the next big industry that's going to explode, just like the the personal computer industry or the mobile phone industry, is biotech. He gets into it. There's a lot of reasons why, but I would I would encourage people to look into the biotech industry. Uh, and he's also he's a, he's a really big advocate for climate change. And his biggest sort of argument is that he thinks that by pursuing uh, you know green energy and, and by trying to sort of put climate change as everyone's top priority, he thinks it's actually going to solve a lot of other problems in the world, political, you know, social, et cetera. And so he pretty much explains that by you know going from let's call it uh, you know gas to uh, to solar or gas to you know electric for for, for cars, he thinks that it's actually going to solve a lot of political issues that we have today. So, you know, overall, really insightful guy. I would encourage people to look him up, and uh, I'm going to keep following him for, for the next few months and, you know, see what I can well, learn. What was his name again? Chamath Paliapitia. I hope I'm saying his last name right. <laughs> his first name is C-H-A-M-A-T-H. Chamath. Chamath. Okay, Chamath. Okay. Yeah, Paliapitia. Well, a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, cool. No, I, that, I think, yeah, I, I think the, those are the trends of the future. It makes sense, you know, biotech and green energy. I, I think it's nothing that's, that should be surprising to anyone, but I think it's something that we have to be conscious of um, because there are so many conflicts rooted in, in yeah. both of these uh, in these industries. Goss, I think you have one more question. We don't have too much time with exactly. you, Jake. I know you're, you're a busy guy. Um, <laughs> Goss, you had one last question, I think, for, uh, for the floor. Yes, um, and I took inspiration from another podcast, Tim Ferriss. He always asks this question before wrapping up a podcast. If you could write something on a billboard for everyone to see, what would you write? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one, guys. That's that, a big that one. Um, you know what? I, w- I was having a conversation with my brother two days ago, um, and we were talking about you know, the past year, especially – you know, from the from the point of view of a student, right, who had to do uh, school online and who maybe, you know, lost their part-time job because they used to work at a restaurant, or, you know. So, you know, overall, I think the theme for us for the past year is that our lives have gotten a little bit more boring, but at the same time, we also had a lot of free time that has been opened up to us that we might have not had before, right? We used to have to commute to school. We used to maybe have a part-time job. We used to see our friends, and we can't really do those things anymore. So, you know, there's a lot of hours in the day that have been opened up. And what my brother and I were talking about was, you know, imagine if we had, you know, taken up one new hobby in the past year, and we had put just an hour a day towards this new hobby. And it could have been anything, coding, reading, uh, you know, about a certain topic, learning a language, being more fit, right? one hour a day over a year we're coming back to the compounding effect i don't even want to know what what it would be like at the end of the year you know Mm -hmm. so what i put on a billboard and you know you can take this positively or negatively but i think you should take it as as some sort of wake-up call i what i put on a billboard is a question you know what did you do with your spare time over the past year and i think Mm -hmm. truly and we're all guilty of this to a certain extent i'm i'm guilty of this too I think truly we wasted a lot of time this past year that we we shouldn't have probably wasted. And my brother, last thing I'll say, my brother said something that was really interesting, and we we spoke about this after for a, a decent amount of time. He thinks, and I, I agree with him, he thinks that a big reason for wasting a lot of time in the past year is that we have a lot of distractions that are really close to us with our phones and the internet and social media. So it's easy, like maybe. When you compare us to our parents, for example, it's harder for us to actually go out there and, and, and do something productive 
because we've got this at our fingertips with a million hours of, of sort of, you know, um, free entertainment at our disposal. And so going forward, just because we have our cell phones and we have all these apps on them, it's not an excuse not to do anything productive, but we kind of need to be aware that our phones might be holding us back a little, you know? So, so going forward, ask yourself, what did you do the past year? How many hours did you waste doing, you know, silly things hmm. and going forward, you know, hmm. forget it. The year has passed. We, we can't change it, but going forward, what could you do to just free up maybe an hour of your day? And what will you do with that hour? And think about how it, it's going to compound over a year or two years. Hmm. That's essentially, good. So essentially today you... is the first day of the rest of your life. That's how you could put it cheesy, but go. it is. It could be, it could be, or you could sit at home and continue <laughs> doing what you, what we usually do, which 90% of people do. And we're all guilty of nobody's, you know, nobody's, uh, we're not saying we're better than others, but you know, it could be the first day of your new life. If you, you know, if you decide to make some changes. That's wow. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Mark, you wanted to add one last thing before well, I, I would up? say, yeah, I'll, I'll make it really short. Um, you know, you, what, you, what you just said, Jake, was was a great thing to put on Billboard. I think, you know, you know, what would you do with your spare time? What, what have you been, what, what was the example? What was the line that you brought up? Uh, what, what would you, you do, do with, with that? Uh, you know, what, what have you done over the past mm-hmm. year with your spare time? What have you time? done? Exactly. You know, I reflect think, I think reflect that, on it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the reflection aspect is really important. Um, I'm going to go with, you know, something a bit more empathetic and, you know, you know, think maybe a bit right there, but, you know, think of others. I think it's a question of, you know, you're on the road, right? Someone's annoying you. There's road rage, whatever. It's like, you know, why are you getting mad at that person, right? What did they do, right? How would that person feel? You know, you're, you're working, uh, you know, someone's wearing a mask all day uh, for 12, you know, for their 10 hour shift at the grocery store, right? They're not, they may not be so happy to be there, you know, at their ninth, at their ninth hour of their shift, right? So, you know, don't be so rude. Be be more humble. Be more. Take a step back. Think of others. How are you making them feel? How do they feel? And and if there's something that you could do to make it better, then you know whether you're talking to them nicely or not getting mad at them, then I think you know that that's important. So I think you know in 2021, let's try to be more empathetic. Let's try to think of others more. Think of how are my actions impacting other people. And I think like that we could all live a happier life. Um, you know, when you raise the tide, everyone, all boats raise at the same time. That's so poetic. That's so beautiful, Mark. I'll echo what you both said. I love <laughs> both of what you guys, you guys, beautiful. What a way to end the podcast. <laughs> um, well, with that being said, this has been episode seven of the Money Class podcast. We had Jake Rizzuto on the podcast. He's the CEO of Penny Drops. And yeah, we'll... We'll see you guys again on episode eight. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having Dan, Thanks for being here, Jake. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. This has been episode seven of the Money Class podcast. If you liked the episode, make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast. We release a new episode every week. See you next week. Bye-bye.